Jamie. Hey, Mike. What's up? Nothing much, man. How you doing? Pretty good. How was your nap? My nap? You take a nap <laughs> on the couch? I did not take a nap on the couch. I actually wrote a blog post. <laughs> oh, so the nap on the couch isn't an everyday thing? Oh, my God. That's right. I fell asleep. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I just remembered that. That's how tired I've been. All right, Jamie. Well, welcome to Lotus123 on the Americans on West Coast Project. Well, thank you very much, Mike. 505-123. So, Jamie, I wanted to say thanks to Tribal Rant. Michelle and Mike always talk about our podcast. I never even say thanks to them or mention theirs. So I just wanted to say <laughs> that first thing, very first top of the top of the morning thing. So thanks to those guys. They always mention us. They're always really sweet to us. So... And they have a pretty good podcast, too, on the Americans. I do. I do enjoy their podcasts. And I think we should probably do a crossover episode one day soon. All right. So, uh, Jamie, this was directed by your boy, Noah Emmerich. Oh, that must have been why I liked it so much. <laughs> it's his third shot at directing. He also did Walter Taffet and Clark's Place in the back, back catalog. Yeah. All right, so you got to admit, like, his episodes are really, really good. Yeah, but it's hard to pick a bad Americans out of all their episodes. Hard to say. That one sucked. I know, but right. But okay, so Walter Taffet, that was awesome. It was one of the best episodes ever. And um, this one, without really realizing, because I didn't look it up to see who directed it, I was really, I loved this episode. Like, I wrote about it. You can go see it on the blog. All right. Wish I said that shit. Yep. All right, Jamie. So Lotus One Two Three. I did a little bit of reading up on Lotus One Two Three. It mm-hmm. was a. Uh, it is a spreadsheet. It was started in 1984, and it was a big deal because this was way back. If you think of 1984, this was before Windows was really a big program. Actually, it was before Windows was accepted with its graphic user interface. Everybody was using DOS. And just typing in numbers and symbols and stuff. There wasn't really windows and graphic graphic images that you would click on. Um, right. So people yeah. people like use- a, like a user a user interface was not a thing. Something that made everything really pretty and user friendly and easy to look at and um, all that stuff wasn't real. Like. Yeah, yeah. So people use their IBM computers and DOS and Lotus One Two Three was built for that type of a platform. Um, Apple had a program called VisiCalc on its Apple II, and uh, Jamie, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Lotus One Two Three and VisiCalc are the reasons why many people started buying personal computers. Well, I, I think that's probably um, probably true because you know a computer is really just like, <laughs> you know, it's a machine until you have a software, an application, you know, to use and to, so that you don't have to do everything yourself, right? Yeah, and it was, it was moving business-only applications into the desktop at home so you could put your budget on it. You could do some stuff, pretty simple stuff to understand. I mean, people weren't writing codes for nuclear propulsion or anything on their home computers, but they could see a very, very functional, easy 
way to run a budget or to do some planning, maybe a calendar or something on their spreadsheets. So spreadsheets, I think, were the big reason why people first started thinking about getting a computer to put in their home. Yeah, I think that probably makes more sense than anything else. That and just really simple word processing. But I don't know which came first. I think according to like what you were talking about last week, I think it was like spreadsheets that were first, right? Well, Lotus got its name, the Lotus 123 got its name because it did spreadsheet calculations, database, it had a database function, albeit mm-hmm. probably a really weak one because there wasn't memory to, you know, grind through thousands of names and stuff. And then graphics, also probably pretty weak graphics. So you could do like a pie chart from your spreadsheet. So those three Thank things. You, really? Yeah. So those three things, spreadsheet, database, and graphics got its name one, two, three. So the so well really I mean it's really two things because the database really is just a table. It's I mean like if you have you know Excel today you can build a database from your Excel spreadsheet. It's just columns and rows with headers. That's you know that's essentially all a database is. So um, in my research I found out that Jeremy Sagan, son of Carl Sagan, was in charge of the graphic part of. Lotus one two three. Is that so? So, but Lotus one two three only lived in the nineteen eighties and nineties. It was born in nineteen eighty four, and it was completely gone by twenty thirteen. But it, its heyday was kind of like nineteen eighty, and maybe a little bit into the nineties, uh, until yeah. until Windows three came along. And Windows three, everybody started using Windows and. Um, the GUI of Windows with the graphics and stuff. Windows, you know, not just DOS commands on green, green, the green screen. <laughs> it was right. uh, Windows got kind of born in that time, and that that's how Lo- that's how uh, Lotus got killed off by Excel and Microsoft Word and and all that. Yeah, which is like amazing because then when you have that stuff, you it, it really truly becomes user friendly. When you can look at something that looks like a piece of paper or looks like a window that you would look out of, then you start to move into you know that space where the regular person can walk up to a computer and kind of understand what they should try to do with it. So I was trying to figure out, like, okay, that's what Lotus One Two Three is, but what's the meaning in the show? And mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, of like, what you do with Lotus and Excel programs, spreadsheet programs, is you take numerous numbers and factors, and you crunch them into more easily understood patterns or results. And I think that's kind of what they're doing with the characters, like Philip and Elizabeth, and Stan and Oleg. Are, you know, they're not just following marching orders; they're trying to resolve mysteries. They're crunching data to try to figure out what's going on and find patterns. And they're looking for patterns among their allies and their enemies. Like Oleg's worried about what his boss is going to do to him <laughs> or what, you know, and same with Philip. You know, he's worried about what Gabriel's going to make him do. And Stan's going to worry about what the AG is going to make him do. It's not just your enemy. It's the whole, the whole picture. You had to grind all those numbers together and come up with some sort of a pattern. Well, you know what? That I think that's really insightful of you. Um, I, I think that this episode was a lot about um, people thinking and you know coming up with conclusions, and so I think that that's that's really kind of right on the right on the nose. I would love to get the FBI mail robot on Jamie and ask what his operating system is and what he knows about all this. 
Oh, you know what he would say. <laughs> he would say something like, it's way too simple. I don't have that much storage. <laughs> he would say, where's Martha? I missed that hottie. Right. <laughs> I need more screen time. Right. We, maybe we can get him on. We got to get him on one time before the season's up. Yeah, sure. All right, Jamie, the previews, uh, the previous ons on the previews of this episode showed, like, it made me remember all the freaking women Philip has slept with. How many women has this guy been with? Uh, a lot. Jeez, this guy's got to be exhausted. And so is everybody else. So is Elizabeth got to be exhausted. I mean, like, she's got to be worn out. She's the one that's, like, doing all those, you know, two-time type things where she's like with a girl and they're with a dude and ugh, it's also exhausting. Philip's also dealing with a fake son, a real son and an almost real ghost of a son in Misha. And then we even saw him as a son. It's kind of a theme yeah. in this one. Yeah. There was a lot of like father, son, grandfather, you know, grandson kind of stuff going on. The symbolism was super heavy and there was a lot of focus on dad, on father, you know? I think like so. The, More than just food. Like it was the, the Father's Day episode or something, you know? <laughs> if this were not, you know, April and if it were June, that's what it felt like because there was just so much. There was, um, yeah, I mean, because, like, Gabriel was, you know, fatherly to Philip and he was grandfatherly to Misha. It was, I loved it. And Oleg's father. Oleg and his yeah, father. Yeah, oh God. Yeah, and his father was around too. All right, Jamie, so let's dive right in. So Philip and Miss Personality Deirdre uh, hanging out together. She wants yep. to show him she wants to show him Lotus One Two Three. That's that's her way of getting hot with him. Yeah. She's like after she gets a little action and she's all like, Yeah, Lotus One Two Three, dude. Before <laughs> and after. That's how she gets warmed up and cooled down. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I thought that was interesting. She's all like, get into the future, man. <laughs> and then we jump from them to Liz Liz and Pasha's mom, Evgenia, talking about cooking. And she may be getting a new job in the agriculture department, Jamie. She may be teaching English to uh, people or teaching yeah. Russian, I guess, teaching Russian to the CIA. Right. Yeah, that was shocking and um, a fascinating turn. Um, you know, because it wouldn't have occurred to me and it was amazing to see how it occurred to Elizabeth and Philip that, you know, this could be a potential like boon, like a huge deal for them. Yeah. Cause that could be the very pipeline right to the core of people that, that we, that would benefit them the most. Yeah. Fascinating. I jump right back to Philip with his horrible fricking flashback sex scene with Deirdre. While he's having sex with her, he's thinking about being a little kid and eating lumps of some kind of crusty bread for his sustenance. What was worth, the sex with Deirdre or the bread that he had to eat? All right, so that bread was like freaking, you know, feast time. You know, I mean, because think about it, like later when Philip is remembering that scene and he's talking to Elizabeth about it, well, he can't, you know, and that's the thing that's so tragic about them, like, you know, being in Russia, 
back when they were kids, like this is not the first time that Philip has expressed a memory that Elizabeth is trying to characterize as being happy, question mark. And Philip is like, I don't know. Like he doesn't remember those, the emotion of happiness from his childhood, like at all. Well, they were probably very few and impotent moments of happiness. Like, what what was happy about his childhood? Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, when you see that scene, that scene is just so bereft of anything that resembles a normal life. It seems literally like a Dickens tale, you know? It's just so dark and emotionless like nobody's face is showing anything they're not even speaking you know and there's that lumpy awful bread and it's only three pieces it's three fist-sized pieces you know and and the mom you know warms it on the fire i thought it was coal for a moment and then you know philip picks up his little piece of bread and his father is just sitting there like you know expressionless it is, it's beautiful the way that those moments are portrayed, but certainly you'd never confuse it for a warm, happy family life. Well, I like your Dickens analogy. That was very Oliver Twist. Although it's, it not, it's not very complimentary to Deirdre that he, he's like he's working away at the sex with her. He's not even really enjoying it. And then he's thinking about this while he's with some woman that he's supposed to be having pleasure with. It's, it's just not, not a good thing. Well, I mean, okay, so how can he enjoy himself? He's, it's work. He's not there to, to have a good time. Like, he's there to accomplish a goal. He's trying to get her to give him what he needs. And what he needs isn't Deirdre. It is Lotus 1, 2, 3. And whatever she But Deirdre's doing there. A- Deirdre's got to at least have the impression that he's getting a little bit of fun out of it. You know, he's just, it's just grinding. It's just not very, he doesn't look very happy at all. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't happy about it. And, you know, he did. He he tried to, you know, give a little put on of, you know, of being um, happy about it, you know, for a moment. But um, but, (laughs) you know, clearly he was not having a good time. And, And that's, you know, in keeping with what we know about their feelings about Kansas um, this season. Well, she wasn't ever, in all fairness, she wasn't having a very good time either, at least in the middle of it. She looked okay at the end. She looked kind of happy at the end. And then, of course, she was in ecstasy when she could talk in her happy afterglow about Lotus 1, 2, 3. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I thought she was having an okay time. I think she's just a boring chick. Yeah, could be. All right, so that takes <laughs> us right to the credits. We come back, Stan and Aderholt are talking to the director about the resident Shura and they're fi- trying to find a new connection in, I guess. And Adderall says, we approach them and the director says, scaring them is just as good as turning them. It gives extra concerns, gives them extra concerns to worry about. Mm-hmm. Did that, did that add up to you? Did that make sense to you that that seems like something that they would really do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're doing now. <laughs> like in real life, that's what they're doing. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. All right, Philip and Elizabeth talk to Henry's math teacher, and Jamie turns out he's not got scholastical problems. He's a freaking genius. 
That's right. Uh, how will this how will this play out? Henry's doing all great in school and he's all like, "Yeah, I know Paige is the genius." But I don't know. I'm I'm very delighted and surprised to see that we're seeing a little bit more of Henry this season. I love Henry. I I've always loved Henry. I think he's just a great character and um and I hope that maybe seeing a bit more of him will mean that maybe we get some more of like Henry's perspective on things. And I hope that they didn't write him as like, you know, a morose teenager who kind of has, you know, all the answers, kind of smart alecky a little bit like how he was today. I hope that he has a little bit of his original personality built in there somewhere. I, I don't know. There was a little bit of that today and I enjoyed it. And, so we'll, well see. Henry being proficient at math is an interesting entree to all the things that they're kind of dealing with, like with the SDS and Lotus One Two Three and all the science and computers and, as we know, all the stuff that's going to become important after 1984. Um, it's pretty, pretty. It's a. It makes him a player in this game if he's a good math engineer type guy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He's going to have a bright future. And since he likes math, that makes it all the better. So not just not just good at it. But they get like outside, it. and Elizabeth just just kind of thinks, "Hmm, God damn, our Henry, good at math." <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that so much because they're like sitting in the classroom, like, "What in the hell?" <laughs> And the teacher's all like, yeah, we better grab him because this is the moment. And um, I don't know. It was great. I I love that. So Philip and Elizabeth come across Stan and Andrea. What's her name in the show? Renee? Renee something? Yeah. Andrea. Um, I know her as Andrea. That's what she will ever be in my head. Um, That's right. They can't connect that night, even though they try. But they stay pretty friendly. And they say, hey, how about next week? Nope. Going fly fishing. So um, it, they, it's a good cover for not going out with them at that moment and then also kind of covered for next week. They, they gave it the good college try. That's right. All right, from there, we go to Henry at home, and um, Philip and Elizabeth bring up Mr. Jeffrey's Algebra two math flourish, how you're such a good kid in math. And Henry's really ho-hum about this, Jamie. He's bored as he kind of listens to them for a minute then he just goes over to his commodore starts playing around with that yeah um yeah so henry's all like yeah i know okay so you told me Paige is the one who's smart you're really shocked that i'm doing well thanks folks <laughs> yeah the sardonic wisecracker <laughs> it's it kind of silently aligned him with Deirdre in my mind. Like he's more fascinated by math and numbers by than by the pleasures of life, you know, the dinner or the warm, cozy family living room or like Deirdre and Philip with sex. It was like he's more in, he's more impressed by math and numbers. Maybe. I don't know if that'll play out or how it could possibly play it out play out Henry and Deirdre, but <laughs> good God, I hope not much plays out with that woman. <laughs> All right, anyway, Stan and Andrea now talking about their exes and how they both messed around on their exes, right? No. No. Um, she was cheated on. Ren- Renee, I think that's her name. She was cheated on, and um, and Stan was the one who cheated, but she was not aware. Like, she kind of lulled herself into a sense of 
false security and okay. was yeah yeah they talked about if they knew or not during the cheating mm-hmm. and stan says i was blind to myself and andrea says oh you're so tight honey what is it like he's tense he's tensed up Stan mm-hmm. tries to cover it up it's work stuff i can't really talk about it but she gets him to talk a little bit though so what's what's going on here, Jamie? I know I asked you this last week and asked you probably a couple of times. What do you think Andrea's role is here? I don't know. I, I'm starting to wonder now because it seems kind of obvious, like they're wanting us to believe that she is an agent. And so now I'm starting to think the opposite, that maybe she's not and she's just like a caring person. But it really does come off that way like oh let's just have, just tell me something general you don't have to tell me details you know i don't know it's weird yeah it would be pretty obvious if she was a russian agent it would be like oh we all knew it but what, yeah. if she, what if she is so just being concerned about him that's interesting that could be one thing he could she could be a russian agent or she she could be like some sort of internal affairs fbi agent doing the double oh. check upon stan just like the, well, just like the KGB's worried about Philip. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the FBI has somebody in there checking up on its agents too. Well, that you know what that makes a lot of sense because, you know, if they had any reason ever to to wonder about Stan or question Stan, they really might send somebody in undercover and be like, "Yeah, we need you to make sure that his head's screwed on right." So the tri- show seems to cement that original premise by Elizabeth and Philip seeing them come home. And Philip says, Stan is vulnerable. And Elizabeth says, did we send her? Like, did we, the Russians, send her? And Philip, I don't know what he says. I can't remember. It's something like it wouldn't be too crazy or wouldn't be too far outlandish. Well, yeah. I mean, so Philip was the one who was saying, like, hey, I... Um, you know, they know all this stuff about Stan from us. They know he's a loner. They know he's, you know, an FBI agent. They know he's divorced. They know, you know, all this stuff. And so, you know, um, Elizabeth is putting two and two together, a little bit more math, and saying, you know, solving that mystery and being like, okay, well, I mean, what do you think? Do you think we did it? That is exactly what Philip thinks. And we find out later how far he's willing to go to try to prove it. Yeah, we're going to see. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. So back over in Russia at the food warehouse or the food distribution center, Oleg and his partner grill the manager, and they, you know, they ask the same question. We, do, we need to know who these people are. Tell, give us a name. Who's, who's behind this? And they kind of start friendly, but then they put the pressure on him. And he also has a son in Afghanistan, so... He becomes pretty angry pretty fast. Just look, you bastards. Either arrest me or leave me the hell alone. He's like, you son of bitch. (laughs) Son of bitch. That's right. So Oleg's partner says, let's just let him stew in these thoughts for a couple. They're pretty freaking mean. You know, pretty pretty hard hand, you know, hard stance he has with this guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, it was awful. But that's, I guess, you know, the way it is when you're, you know, working for the government and your government is, you know, like a communist dictator type situation. So Misha now, Jamie, has made it to the streets of D.C. Uh, Uh He calls that bored phone girl that we hardly ever see. We've seen her once every five or six episodes Mm -hmm. um, or maybe maybe once or twice the whole series. We don't see her very often. 
but gives her the cryptic mm-hmm. message, I guess, that he got from his mom. Yeah. About seeing Dr. Walters in a very stilted English yes. accent. He doesn't speak English really very well. No, very, very broken English. But I loved that scene because it seemed to seemed like, you know, like real. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. You've been in another, another country. You barely speak enough words of the language to really justify even being there. And then you have to get a message across. It just really comes across like you literally know only those words and you're going to say them with as close an approximation to what they should sound like as you can. I I loved that scene. Yeah. And he's not only just in another country where the language is difficult, he's in enemy territory. He's not supposed to be there. And he's like a Russian citizen. Um, not a not a good safe feeling. It, they did a really good job of making him seem really super far from home, though. Yes, I loved that, and I loved that um, that he was writing in Cyrillic characters on the page, like when it was time to write down, you know, like eleven a.m. at uh, what is it, Best Truman Park or something like that. Yeah. They yeah. really build it up like he really worked freaking hard to get here. And then it's just going to we're going to see what happens to him at the end of his journey here or, or close to the end of it. Because we don't really know yet, but pretty, pretty hard to get where he got. And then he gets kind of disappointed. Yeah, that was just so tough. But I think that really figured into the the theme for this episode. My unofficial theme for this episode is heartbreak. All right, well, he, the little bit he does know in English is pretty powerful because he gets this phone girl's attention and she tells him to call back tomorrow. So the little code that he got from his mother is pretty, pretty good. It's pretty uh, door opening. Um, we jump over to Elizabeth and the hippie dude. They're cooking some Egyptian meat soup of some kind in Topeka. Yep. And drinking Omar Khayyam wine, Jamie. <laughs> I cannot even imagine what that tastes like i don't know it sounds sounds like it would taste like something filtered through an old tennis shoe <laughs> yeah i agree <laughs> and she's laughing strainfully at his bad jokes she just looks tortured with this dude yeah i don't know it it felt kind of casual but kind of comfortable to me um but it did feel like it wasn't natural you know like slightly comfortable, almost like she was acting, which is, you know, the impression we were supposed to have. So it was great. Well, guys love when women laugh mm-hmm. at their jokes and their clever comments and they make, you know, they make you feel smart when girls like you. They make you feel smart and good. And this is so forced and strained. It's like she laughs every time she laughs. It's a little bit too long. Like it's a little <laughs> too it's a little too perky and chippery and too long. Hmm. I'm not comfortable watching these two together. At least he eventually says, am I boring you? Like he get, he's tuned in a little bit to it. Wow. That's, that is fascinating that that was your take on it. I had the opposite feeling about it. I thought they seemed really comfortable. Mm, I think he's really tone deaf, you know, except for that. Am I boring you? Like he's like, am I, you know, it's like he's into it. He's, he's onto it a little bit, but she convinces him that, no, he's not boring her. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. 
<laughs> I am. Um, I, I, I don't know. I enjoyed that scene. Um, I will say that the actor butchered the word Eid al-Adha. Like, I didn't catch it until the third watch, the what he was actually trying to say. Because um, he, he, he said... Eat al ahad or something like that. It was like really bad um, translation of the word, but I I give him a pass on it because he's an American. Um, That's the meat soup. Uh, no, well, okay, so the meat soup had a different name, but he was saying that the people in Egypt ate that um, on a holiday, and the holiday was Eid al Adha, but he butchered it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fine. He he is an American. He's tra- he's well traveled. He's gone around Peace Corps and stuff. So he's, that, I mean, that's that's cool. And nobody nobody's gonna know that he, how bad he butchered it unless they know the language. Yeah, that's yeah, that's correct. So we get a cool thing. Another thing this uh, this show does super well is music. Jamie, a cool Rolling Stones song "Slave" from Tattoo You. Mm-hmm. As uh, Philip and Tuan play catch with a football. Uh, although Philip totally throws like a girl, Jamie. I don't know if you even noticed, but this is some bad Welsh quarterbacking. <laughs> Matthew Rees. <laughs> All right. So I got to tell you, I liked that scene. And the reason why I like that scene is because I got to see Philip's affectations as this character. Like, it was really cool. Did you notice, like, every time he threw... Antoine caught the ball, he did this thing with his elbow where he, like, kind of pushed his elbow out, like, pumped his arm, like, yeah, you got it. And that's, like, a totally that character affectation. That was not a Philip move. That was a, you know, that dude's name. I forgot. Eckert. Yeah, but you got to throw correctly. He looked like a freaking woman throwing that football. It's a bad thing. (laughs) That's a bad thing in entertainment. They do that with dudes throwing a baseball or swinging a bat or golf club or something if you can't do it they gotta they gotta get away from showing it oh wow it's amazing to me that you noticed that detail because i did not it went right over my head all right well you're a girl you probably throw like that too (laughs) all right elizabeth and hippie man fool around she feigns interest while he's having sex with her and she's looking around the apartment kind of taking inventory visually while he's making love to her um, That's right. Cut away from that. Philip and Paige are home alone eating pasta. And Paige says, mm-hmm. "Cool, pretty cool about Henry getting into AP math. She's kind of proud of her little brother. Yeah. And, I, you know, that whole scene was really, really good. I loved that scene. And that's, you know, that's another scene in the show that actually um, <clears throat> lends itself to my ideas about you know, this thing being about the guys, it's about the fathers because, you know, she has struggled with Elizabeth mightily. I mean, like for real, real, she has struggled with Elizabeth over everything, you know, her identity, her personality, her boyfriend, all of it. And even though she's had her struggles with her dad, um, this was the one moment since all of this shit went down that we have had Paige really expose herself, like really actually open up for real. And it was to her dad and it was profound. 
Yeah, they're doing a really good job of showing these straws building up on Phillips's back to break the camel's back. And this is one of them, one really big straw, actually. Um, Paige, Paige talks about Matthew having a crush. She had a crush on Matthew, and now he actually starts to like her back. And so she's kind of asking Philip for feedback. She's a young adult talking to her father. And she says, all the garbage in my life I thought had made me feel better. He makes it, he makes it worse, though. Is it because he is, he's not right for me, or am I just already screwed up that I'm meant to be alone? Like, am I, am I going to be a spy and be alone? Right. And this oh registers with Philip, like, 100%. Yes. I love that scene. It made me want to cry. And now that I'm thinking about it again while we're going over it, I want to cry. It was just so, like, really moving because, like, that is, that's about as real as you can possibly get. You know, she, that wasn't a rehearsed speech. That was, uh, you know, this daughter turning to her dad about a moment that, that, of emotion, something that she's feeling that she can't share with anybody in the world. If she had said that to her mom, it would have been a whole bunch of bullshit. And she's telling the one person in the world that she can tell, you know, and even then there's no comfort to it for her because it's really a rhetorical question. It's an existential question. It was beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, just imagine an 18-year-old girl thinking she's going to be alone for the rest of her life just because that's her – she's been forced into this lot in life. And she's aware enough to know that it's garbage, that it's all, you know, shit. Philip doesn't help alleviate any of this either. He just looks super sad and worried, you know, and he's he's considering this. You can tell he's thinking, like, what kind of monster am I creating or, you know, maybe what kind of beautiful child am I ruining – He's, this is a really huge weight on him. Yeah. show did a great job of portraying that. Yes, and I loved Holly Taylor deserves commendation for her acting because this, this is a young girl, and she really captured the emotion, the conflict, and the, you know, the angst that a person would feel in that position. I loved it. So next we see Gabriel and Margot. And they talk about Misha. Um, I guess Misha's been giving Philip signals, or somehow Philip knowing about Misha has been giving signals to Gabriel as soon as he gets them from Misha. Somehow he knows some stuff about Misha and he's sharing it with Gabriel. Right. Right. Somehow Gabriel's tapped into this info about Misha. Right. So he's been getting updates on Misha ever since Misha went missing from Afghanistan. So he's been basically keeping tabs whenever he can get any kind of information on Misha. Um, he's like tied into whomever the center and then to the, you know, phone call lady in DC um, or Virginia, wherever she is. And so he gets all these little bits of, you know, updates. So he knew that Misha was in town when he got that code that um, that Misha used to call and say, you know, like, I want to see my dad, basically. And um, and so he knew and he needed to discuss it with Claudia. Yeah. So Philip. So Margo says Claudia, I guess <laughs> um, he's unstable. And Gabriel and Gabriel says, Philip or Misha, <laughs> who are you talking about, baby? Um, and she means Philip, of course. 
Um, but I get the sense here, Jamie, that Gabriel wants to allow this meeting to happen and Margot wants to kill it. But Margot has the authority. Well, yes. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Claudia is all like stone cold, stone cold chickadee. And she is like, <laughs> we're not going to have any of that. <laughs> we're going to take care of business. And what she was basically trying to do, I, and, you know, part of it was tough love. Because part of it is like, look, Philip has marks in his file, you know, and we know, we who have seen the series from the beginning, we know that Elizabeth used to report on Philip. Like in the first season, they were not allies. And, you know, Elizabeth was all like, look, this, this dude is soft. He wants to defect. Maybe he's you know, a problem. I don't know how loyal he is. And, you know, and so that stuff is in his file. And what basically what Claudia was saying to Gabriel is, all right, so this dude has marks in his file already. He's not stable right now. We know that. He's already feeling like he's questioning, you know, the purpose of this whole thing. He's struggling right now. What is he going to do when he finds out that they institutionalized his only, his firstborn son for saying that the war in Afghanistan was a bunch of bullshit? Like, what do you, how do you think he's going to react? And that's how she gets Gabriel to be like, okay, well, yeah, I get it now. Because until that moment, he was arguing, no, Philip needs to see his son. Right, right on the heels of Paige telling him I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life from 18 on because of what you guys put me, got me into. They don't want him to hear mm-hmm. that he was in, his other son was in a psych ward. Yeah, it's interesting. It's also interesting that you reminded me about Elizabeth um, having reported on Philip before because I've got I, I, somewhere in my notes here. I don't I don't remember where. I, I don't think we've talked about it yet. I said this is the episode where Elizabeth falls in love with Philip totally falls in love with him that they're not in a soldier partnership she's crossed that line firmly and finally forever in this episode maybe it's when she called him just for no reason in the phone booth and just said hey i'm you know i miss you but i think this is the episode where she falls in love with philip oh i I felt like she fell in love with philip a long time ago you know because if you think about like last season last season with um what's her name Martha Ah, Martha with Martha Um, you know she was in love with him but I think that this season what we're really seeing is that that love endures like this is deep it's not a seasonal thing it's not like a you know oh I dig you right now you know kind of thing it is through all of the stuff it's through you know boring moments or tough moments or you know, listening to somebody talk about something, you're not really even sure what they mean by it. Um, like today with that, you know, with the, with the, this week's episode, you know, in the phone booth. And so I think all of that is really clear. Um, you know, that Elizabeth is, she's tied to this man. She wants to be there for him, even though she's got this, you know, superstar dude who wants to, you know, end all the famine, you know, and apparently is, is, you know, pretty well endowed based on the face she made when she was, you know, doing the get down with him. Um, 
you know, she's she loves Philip. Yeah, I agree that she loves him. They've been through a hell of a lot together. They have children together. But I see her doing things that she's never done before. She's crossing into new territory with him. And calling, saying she fell in love with him probably is a little dramatic on my part. But she's never called him out of the blue before from a payphone to say, hey, I'm just thinking about you. No, no strategy here. No reporting of anything. I'm just thinking about you. It's so unlike yeah. Elizabeth to do that, that they made a point of showing it. You know, I think she's just reaching a new level. I, you know what? I think that's probably true. I think that's true. And I think that, that this season has shown us a little bit of that in every episode. Like last episode, it was, oh, you know, the guy on the plane who bought me the alcohol, I told him, oh, I'm going to bring this home to my husband. And then, you know, they see each other and they're just like, you know, kind of leaning into each other on the sofa and relaxing. This is real love. This is like not like falling in love, love. This is the real stuff that endures. Yeah, it's interesting. though. I, I think she's reaching new levels. Yeah. All right. So Oleg comes home, Jamie, to a bevy of Russian beauties. They're all lined up on the same side of the table to greet him. Yeah. Uh, like, OK, so I got like serious Russian chick on the right with the red. I got blondie Nina. In the middle with the curly hair. <laughs> and I got, you know, Miss Sirius on the left. And she's probably the one that's got staying power. Um, if anybody's going to come out of that trio, I think it'll be that chick. Yeah, it's a brunette, a blonde, and a redhead. Inna, Olga, and Alina. Ah, there um, you go. But, Jamie, this is the same excess of choices that Oleg is tasked to root out of the freaking Russian food system. There's too many choice, too many things. He should have one woman, you know, and, and plus his dad shouldn't be setting him up at 32 years old or whatever, however old he is. But um, I don't know. His pops is tr- totally trying to play wingman for him, but Oleg doesn't want any part of it. Yeah, Oleg is like step off, get, you know, don't, 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 don't be trying to, you know, to get into my personal life, dad. Yeah, I can, I can meet women on my own. And then his dad compares his stubbornness to that of his mother. Yeah, he's all like, I'm a clueless Russian patriarch, and you're stubborn just like your mom. And, you know, that, that's, that was about as blind as you get. All right, Jamie, so on the AV Club's review of this episode... They had a commenter write into that review, and he was the prop master for season five of The Americans. His name is Dan Fisher, and he listed all the food that was on that table for that dinner scene. Huh. Uh, so I'll try, to, I'll try to get these pronunciations right, but pelmini was dumplings. Pelmini, sour uh-huh. cream, pickles, marinated tomatoes, pickled cabbage, black bread, cotelettes, Cotelettes, seledeka, seledka, seledka, salted herring, sturgeon locks, black caviar, salad olive, and vodka. Huh. Now that's a pretty nice, rich little table of food for a country that's having food distribution problems. Well, yeah, I mean, so they're from the wealthy people. They're the merchant class. They're actually higher than the merchant class. Those are those are the 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 elite elite people. You know, you got two. You got a KGB agent. You've got a government minister, and you know his privileged wife. 
they're going to have food and it's going to be decent food. Yeah, I get I get the I get the setup, but how is that any better or not any worse than the guys who have too much choices in their warehouse for the poor slobs like Martha trying to pick out a roll of frickin' toilet paper? Well, because they <laughs> because they are the um the ruling class, I guess you could say. And the ruling class get exceptions. They get better food, they get better quarters, they get, you know, that's it. So the so the warning earlier on in this season, where Oleg heard these these accusations may come right to your door. In fact, the accusations haven't reached the door yet of the Baroff family, but the the evidence certainly is at the door and on the table. Well, no, I, I think he was talking about guests, like the people at your table. You know, some of the people that you need to investigate might be the people you know, who sit at your dinner table for these dinner parties that your father, because your father knows a lot of powerful people. I think that was the, the intent of that, of that statement. But I I think that they have access to food in what they take to be a legitimate way because they are who they are. Yeah. It's that animal farm thing again. Mm -hmm. Too many choices. It's not We're a little bit more a little bit more equal than the rest. More equal than others, right. Mm-hmm. So here's where Phil gets the call from Elizabeth at the travel agency. She's just checking in. She misses him. I put Here's where I put she's falling in love with him. Philip shares his memories with her. Again, something not too common between these guys. His childhood memories of his father. Um, kind of teeing up Misha a little bit, but I think I'm going to stick to my guns on this, him falling for her a little bit more and more. That um, he's he's Elizabeth's uh, her and him are getting closer as lovers more than just soldiers sharing the same house. Mm. But it, it, I think it's also teeing up Misha. Misha's uh, uh, Misha's about to come into D.C. and meet him, and I don't know. He's talking about his childhood with his father, and here's another child of his coming in. It's you know. It's, is it some sort of telling that he knows somehow subconsciously that Misha's close or I don't know, what's the meaning of the of the Misha being so close that he's almost gonna meet but not quite meet meet up with him? Well, I don't know. I mean I, I you know, I think that that had to happen because of last season. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um But why is I, Philip remembering his father his childhood and his father? I don't know. Maybe it's a psychic type moment. And I don't mean psychic in the, you know, the jaded. Paranormal. Right. No, I don't mean it that way. I mean, just, you know, maybe there's a spiritual connection or he's, you know, I just, I, I believe that there's that kind of energy in the universe and that, you know, if something really important is near you, you might, if you were perceptive enough, you might feel, um, you know, a different way or, you know, have some sort of perception of it. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it was partly that um, I, but I'll tell you, I, I, um, I think it's kind of interesting that, um, the moments that Philip had with Tuan for the most part were not awkward. They were very well acted. You know what I mean? And acted, I mean, I mean that for, you know, the characters that they're pretending to be, you know, father and son, that it seemed, you know, very natural and not awkward at all. But for Philip with his real kids, 
You know, like even his interaction with Henry was kind of awkward. Like he was saying the wrong thing and Henry was like, yeah, whatever, dad, you know? And then with Paige, it was heartbreaking and tragic. And then with Misha, you know, it wasn't even there, even though, you know, if Philip could have known that Misha were, were there, he would have wanted to, to see him. Yeah. I agree with you. I think there is a connective spirit, like somebody's near you, you don't see them, but you just think, huh, that's, that's weird. I have a feeling that somebody is close by, that you, you don't have any real reason to know they're close by. I, I'm not very religious, but I do believe in that sort of sixth sense type of thing. And um, I don't think Philip's getting this childhood memory thing from Paige. I don't, and I don't think he's getting it from Henry. I think it's something with Misha that just, you know, it's, pre, it's preceding him into the into the Jennings household. <laughs> but it's his spirit that somehow Philip is sensing that. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I wonder about that. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I had a weird moment um, this episode. We hear so much about Philip that Philip does not remember things in his childhood. He doesn't remember parts of his childhood. And it just makes me wonder, you know, if, you know, Philip's dad is Gabriel and he just doesn't know it, you know. Mm, That's interesting. Doesn't really recognize it, you know, because it's just it just seems so. I don't know. Like we never, we never really address it. Like we know that as far as I can recall, you know, like we know Elizabeth's mother is dead. Of course she died last season. We know that her father is dead. He was shot for desertion. Um, but we don't know very much about Philip's childhood or anything. So Misha does get closer. The operator gets the coded call again and she tells him to meet at best Truman park where he will not meet Philip, we'll see, but Gabriel, but that comes up in the next couple scenes. Um, so as Andrea and Stan meet Adderhall, and they talk about being in the service for 10 years, and at first it kind of sounds like military or maybe like, you know, I, I, owe, I owe duty of some sort, but it's, I think they're talking about marriage, right? Yeah. I was in for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or prison, one of the two. Stan wants a drink, but Andrea has, a, has to bail. She has an early morning. More evidence, I think, that she's kind of snooping around on him versus really enjoying her time with him. Right. Yep. She's got work to do. She talks to Adderhold for a little while. And then, Jamie, she says, um, I guess something about the kings. He's okay. As long as he doesn't root against the kings, he's in the clear. And I couldn't figure out what she meant by that. There's no Kings in D.C., no sports team. Oh, I thought I thought that was like a I thought that was a team. Well, there's the Los Angeles Kings hockey. There's the Sacramento Kings basketball. Uh huh. Washington. No. In 1980. She's not from there, though. Well, where's she from? I don't know. She she was talking about like she had family in some state, but that just could just be her team. Like was Pittsburgh, you know, right? Was Pittsburgh and Yeah. Yeah, there's but no Kings. Know. There's no Kings related to any of the places they've talked about. You know, there's the only two really sports teams with Kings are unless I'm totally you know missing this, Los Angeles Kings and Sacramento Kings. 
Yeah, I don't know. I I I I think it's probably just one of those throwaway things because, like, I'm a you know Dallas Cowboys fan because my dad was a Dallas Cowboys fan. I've never lived in Dallas or been to Dallas in my life, so I don't know. So uh, next scene we see Philip in a new disguise. Philip, old man in the sea, Hemingway beard. <laughs> Philip. <laughs> oh, uh uh-uh. No, I thought. You know what I thought. I thought he that was a really close take on the Est guy. Yeah, that's what people say. The Est guy or, um, yeah, mostly the Est guy. But I thought he looked like Hemingway, kind of. Uh. Um, and maybe he is. He's getting something from Est again. So, um, But he's spying on, what, Andrea going home after the bar? That's right. So he's checking out where she lives. It's going to uh-huh. be interesting to find out what the hell she's up to. Yeah, I agree. I can't wait. All right, Paige and Matthew are studying together. She's ignoring him, and he's confused by it. And he finally just says, hey, do you want to break up with me? What's going on here? Um, So another romance that's got some interesting connections to it. And Paige says, I'm scared. I like you, but I've never had a boyfriend before. What, What does that mean, Jamie? She was giving him some bullshit because she was rubbing her thumb and forefinger together. Like right before she said that. Hmm. Okay. Good catch. I've never noticed the thumb forefinger any at any time. Oh, okay. All right. Phil Hemingway now watches Andrea go back home, so he's checking out where she, her route back home is. <laughs> and right. uh, Elizabeth Cook s'mores with the hippie man. She's yeah. uh, overly fascinated again. She's like exaggeratedly marveling at his life history. And uh, this is where she learns a pretty important truth. She asks him, what is it you do exactly? And he says, "Working on sa- I work on saving the world. And yeah. Jamie, ter- turns out they're working on making more food, not how to damage food. That's right. Their project is isolating pests to get crops stronger and stronger. And they find the strongest pests they can to put up against the wheat to keep figuring out how to make the wheat stronger to, to resist it. And this will end up making food supplies cheap and reliable everywhere around the world. So they're actually not looking for something to damage Russian wheat. They're looking for ways to make more food for people everywhere. Yep, that's right. You heard it here, folks. And when he said that, I was like, ooh, this is not going to be good for Philip. (laughs) It even seemed to impress Elizabeth. Her face changed. Her face softened when she heard that. Yeah, I mean, you know, that had to be, like, a really good, terrible surprise. So Phillips had asked doing the old patterns. Who knows? Maybe he's going to Est all along here. It's hard to know what he does all along. We haven't seen Kimmy in a while, and we haven't seen Est for a while. Um, I kind of get the feeling maybe he's been doing it all along. Yeah, I think that Philip has been going to Est, and we just haven't seen it. Um, I'll tell you something I noticed about this um, this particular session of Est is that it was all about teenagers and parent-child relationships. Hmm, I got something else. I got, like I said, old patterns that the guy was saying, love is all around us, we just can't see it, so it seems far away because old patterns and old habits block the flow of that love. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh, I'm talking about like what was on the chalkboards. The chalkboards were like replete with 
comments comments about teenagers and saying things about like you know young adults and things like that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was great. What did you get from that? What did that mean to you? Like that thing about old patterns blocking. Um, well, I kind of took it. I want Philip to defect and for them to be happy in America and maybe yeah. help the U.S. figure out the Russian problem. I, and I can't see ever see Elizabeth frickin doing that, but I can see Philip wanting to do it. And I can see Paige and Henry breathing a sigh of relief if they did that. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. So I don't know how they pull it off with Elizabeth, but. I mean, but he's so close. It's just like it's all around him, all this all this potential happiness all around him. He could stop all this bullshit, have a love affair with Elizabeth. Their marriage could go on. The kids could grow up. They're Americans. Yep. Can he do it, though? It just seems it's so close, but it seems far away. That may not be at all what they're talking about in this S session because they're talking about love and how it's we do. We we sabotage our own chance at love by having old habits that we can't get away from so i don't know did you did you grasp anything from the est meaning well i thought it was pretty deep like okay aside from reminding me of uh the movie love actually (laughs) where the narrator says love is actually all around us um the same thing the est guy said but 30 years later or 40 years later um no, aside, aside from that, um, I thought that um, that it was I I struggled to find a direct connection to um, the story, you know, except for the idea of how Paige is struggling right now because she, you know, has love really kind of right in front of her, but she can't really see it for all the garbage that she has in her life. Or maybe she sees it, but she doesn't think she's allowed to have it. Yep, probably. All right, well, Misha meets with Gabriel, and Gabriel's about to block the love of Misha and Philip. (laughs) Or maybe Claudia is by proxy. But Misha speaks in Russian, and Gabriel stops him. No Russian here. Well, doesn't want him to speak in Russian on the park bench. That's right. Um, And Misha won't go away with him somewhere private to talk about it. So Gabriel just essentially kills off all the hope of him ever meeting Philip and says it'll put him into danger. I understand your desire to see him, but go back home. If you love him, you'll respect that because you cannot see him. And here's another scene in this episode where we see somebody's heartbreak. Like... This the acting was so very 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 good in this episode, and it was good, uh, you know, on um, f- for Frank Langella, for Matthew Reese, and for the actor who plays uh, Misha. It's uh, his name is um, Alex. Oh, something. Can you think of his last name? No, I have no idea. So I have him on 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 the blog post on um, wish I said that shit. So if people want to see his name, just go look him up because I can't I can't remember his Should last name. Should have a website right. called wish I, wish I remembered that shit. <laughs> yeah, Misha looks really just like Matthew Reese. His eyes are ex- exactly the same expressive way that his are. And do you have any predictions for Misha, Jamie? Um, I think we haven't seen the end of Misha. And I hope that we haven't, 
because the actor who's playing him is wonderful. Wonderful. Um, I loved that scene. It was so affecting because in the beginning, you see him sitting on the bench before Gabriel arrives and he's so excited. And you can see him just kind of like antsy and he gets this beautiful, happy smile on his face for just a sec. And then he kind of, you know, calms himself down. And I'm a serious, poor Russian. I'm deprived. Let me I'll be serious while I wait for this huge moment where I get to see my dad for the first time. I'm so excited. And he's like, you know, his legs are jumping and he's got the thing going. And he's like, you know, he's just, he cannot contain himself, barely contain himself. And then here comes Gabriel. And in that moment, he goes, you see him fall from a height, you know, because he was so happy. And then he is so devastated. And you see all of that in his face, you know. And the thing that was so fantastic about that scene, despite the, the I mean, amazing acting of, of the beautiful actor Alex, who plays uh, Misha, was really Frank Langella as Gabriel. He hated telling that to that boy. And the look on his face after he said everything, he literally, it was like he couldn't stand the taste in his mouth. You know, the expressions that he made after he said what he had to say, those expressions were so amazingly beautiful and just emotional like they were so expressive i loved that scene misha could i think misha could be a pretty powerful tool in what pushes philip over the edge towards defection like what if misha gets killed or what if misha i don't know tries to kill somebody and gets caught or some somehow gets philip in trouble or some critical thing's going to happen with misha he didn't come all the way to washington just to turn around and go back to russia yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think it would be a real serious letdown to the fans if they if Misha and Philip don't meet. All right, Elizabeth comes home and meets Philip. They embrace. Um, we don't even see that too much. They somehow just come back together and they just walk past each other, walk around each other in the garage, in the laundry room, in the kitchen. But they give a nice little hug this time. And we find out Paige is at church. Henry's studying with Chris, although neither of them know if that's a boy or a girl, Chris. That was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and Elizabeth tells him, we got it wrong. They want to, want to end hunger to save people. And Philip yeah. just gets sat, sunk by this. Like, I killed that dude in the lab for no reason. That's right. That's right. He's killed by and, that mistake. Yeah. And it broke my heart for Philip, and it made me so angry, you know, because that's why you don't hurt people. That's why you don't hurt people, because you can live to regret it, and that's the kind of regret that you can never get rid of, you know? And and that's that's on, a, on an astronomical scale. That is what he's experiencing right there in that moment. So Oleg's back home. He's looking at his map again, the secret map to go meet the guys that he's supposed to meet. Walks off into the night, finds the fountain from the map, and hangs out there. But nobody comes, Jamie. Does this mean to you that Stan's ploy with the assistant AG worked? His threat to reveal stuff blocked the takeout of Oleg or whatever that meeting that 
ominous meaning of, of somebody with Oleg was supposed to be? I don't even know. I was trying to think about, like, it, I mean, is that the appointment, like the time that they said, you know, meet in the park? And then I was, like, wondering about the thing where, like, Oleg was listening to something. Because remember, he was, like, sitting in a chair listening to a recording. And the, the recording was Stan threatening him. And so I don't know where the, where that kind of was in time, if it was a memory or what the hell. I, I don't know. It was really weird. And I, I, I don't know. Well, maybe it's not the time, but maybe it's the eighth time he went there and nobody freaking ever shows up. I, mean, I think it's a sing, sing, signal that Stan's ploy worked, that he blocked oh. the plan, that whatever plan it was to take out Oleg. Hopefully, yeah. I, I hope you're right. All right, Tuan and Philip now talk over McDonald's. Tuan reports that Pasha's mother got the job, the train, the language trainer job, and he's nibbling on the fries as he's talking to Philip. All um, right, so I I had a moment where like my son came into the living room as I was watching. And um, I was like, okay, so do you want to see what old style McDonald's looked like? <laughs> like showing him like how it used to be in styrofoam and the fry cup used to look different and the drink cup used to look different. And he's like, wow, look at that mommy. <laughs> so you don't have styrofoam in Georgia anymore either? Nah, they haven't had that forever. I'm just wondering, I live in California and they got, they get away with all, and they do away with all that stuff like wave before everyone else does. I just wondered. Oh, yeah. Not that I go to McDonald's very often, but yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's paper oh, or cardboard now, not styrofoam. That's right. So Elizabeth comes home and interrupts them and makes Tuan, I think, I think she made Tuan feel pretty isolated here. Um, he's like, oh, well, okay, guess I'll just leave because she doesn't sound very welcoming to him. Um, and Philip ruminates more about the guy in the lab. Like, this can't ever happen again. Wait, wait. Um, I, what what that was was like Philip was like talking to Tuan and doing his you know whatever his thing, and they're you know like making the whole conversation about plans. And Philip's all like, "Yeah, you're great on your own," and he's like, "Yeah, but appearances." And but they're having a conversation. But when Elizabeth walks in. Philip just drops the fork and goes completely silent and just, no, not the fork, the glasses. He just like takes the glasses off his face and like drops them. Like, I can't even, I can't even have this disguise anymore. Here comes my real life, like barging into this bullshit thing that I've got going on. And he can't, he can't, the sadness comes immediately to him. He's immediately uncomfortable and awkward and can't say anything. It's just, it's gone. Like, you know, everything that he had, all the energy and the interaction that he was able to have with Tuan was gone because reality in the form of Elizabeth came through the door. And that's what Tuan sensed. Like he saw the awkwardness and was like, oh, wait, no, nobody's speaking. Yeah, I, I, I got to go upstairs. <laughs> yeah, or couldn't it mean, though, that Philip is, like, more interested in having a family conversation with Elizabeth than a spy conversation with Tuan? Not like Elizabeth interrupted him and Tuan, which she essentially did. But it's not like, oh, shit, I got to stop talking spy talk because Elizabeth's home. He's like, I want family time. And, Tuan, you're not part of this anymore. Um, 
Well, that's one way to look at it. But what I think it really was, was this is family time. And Tuan was like, oh, dude, oh, wait, I'm in the middle of something. Let me get out. Because for Philip, this was like, here comes my real life. You know, and I don't think he was being rude. I think he just could not pretend in that moment. I think that this, that the show has, that the writers have this season gone to very overt efforts to make sure that we see that the family is the real thing. Yeah, and it's ele- it's I keep saying this, but I think it's elevated to a higher and higher point and this is the highest point now than it's ever been enough to interrupt spy stuff which what used to be their number one um priority and now it's like I'm not talking spy talk anymore. I'm home with my wife now. And you That's my right. fake son must you're not welcome here. Right. I don't know, who knows. But um, Phillips also got to express to Elizabeth that this can't ever happen again. This is just too much for me. And she tries to say, well, we'll be more careful. But the guilt, I think it's too heavy on Philip now. He can't do this anymore. It's just too much of a burden. And he says, this has been hard on me yeah. for a long time. And she knows it. She, she offers yep. that maybe next time she should do the dirty deed. And he says, no, it's us. We're both in this. Yeah. Yeah. And so and that's, you know, that is the the step of um, commitment and of their lives being tied to each other that um, we've been wanting and looking for, you know, since season one. And, um, you know, it's there. It's cemented like he's like, yeah, okay, you know, I hate this. I don't want to be in this, but we're in it together and we're going to do it together, even though this is killing me. All right, Jamie, that's it. That's the end. 505, Lotus 123. So, what about next week, Crossbreed? What do you think that name could mean? Um, Crossbreed. That is, um, it's, it's interesting. Maybe Misha sticks around and meets like Tuan or somebody. Yeah, interbreeding of spies and people that shouldn't be meeting. Yeah. Hmm, Could be. Pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. How about uh, Andrea being somebody else than who she's portraying herself to be? Perhaps. That's excellent. And then maybe, just maybe, Paige has sex. No. I think maybe. No, I don't think so. I don't know, man. Or it could be a crossbreed of um, wheat moths that take out great swaths of uh, grain. Perhaps. All right, Jamie, that's it, though, for 505. We'll talk about 506 when we talk about it. Maybe we'll try to see what male robots up to and maybe we can get them back on. All right, Jamie, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to play the Rolling Stones, so I don't know how this one's going to end, but we got through 505. You always have great bumper music. I've got total faith in you. It's got to be connected somehow to the theme. Well, then I think you should look for some music that has the word Lotus in it or numbers in it. (laughs) Well, Tattoo You was a really good album from the Stones, so maybe I'll find something on there. All right. All right, Jamie, so I'll see you next week on Crossbreed. All right. Later, Mike. Bye. 